Luke chapter 14 and starting at verse number 1. One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, they will say to your friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back so that you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Then one of those at the table heard this. He said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five oak of oxen, oxen. And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to them, to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I will tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I'm sure I'm not alone in this experience. I'm sure others have had the same thing. But you know the scene where you've been invited to dinner and you know that it's going to be a fairly formal affair, but you had just no idea of quite how formal it would be until you're taken to your seat And then there is a place setting in front of you that looks like this. I mean, seriously, what do you do with all of that cutlery? It looks like they're expecting me to perform some kind of surgery, not just to eat a meal. But the feeling I have in those situations is that all eyes are on me, that I'm going to embarrass myself by using the wrong piece of cutlery for that particular part of the meal. Well, today's passage is set at a dinner party and all eyes are on one guest. All eyes are on Jesus. But they're not watching him to see whether or not he uses the wrong fork. They're watching him to find fault with him. 
They're listening to what he says. They're watching what he does and they are waiting to catch him out. I mean, look what it says right at the beginning of the passage, verse number one, chapter 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus was eating in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. This is not hospitality that's being extended to Jesus. This is a setup. But the tables are about to be turned. Jesus knows what's going on here and he's got a few lessons that he's going to teach the guests around the table. In fact, three lessons before he gets around to telling this parable of the great banquet. First lesson is about the Sabbath. You see it there in those opening verses. One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee who has been carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Goodness me, there is a a man in front of Jesus who needs to be healed. Here he is in the home of a Pharisee on the Sabbath and there just happens to be a disabled man in need of healing. Well, I think Jesus knows what's going to happen. So before he does anything, he throws a question at the legal experts and the Pharisees. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And with one simple question, he's set them up. See, what are they going to answer? What will they say? Are they going to say, yes, it's okay to heal on the Sabbath? They want to be able to criticise Jesus when he does heal this man because they know that's what he's going to do. Pharisees and the legal experts thought that healing was work and therefore working on the Sabbath was breaking God's law. But if they say, no, it isn't lawful to heal on the Sabbath, well, they're just going to look like a heartless bunch, aren't they? Here's this disabled man and there are the nitpicking sticklers for the rules who are going to not care about this man. So what do they say? Well, it's very interesting to see what they say. Verse 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. They say nothing. I mean, how pathetic is that? There was no law that would forbid Jesus from healing on the Sabbath. The Pharisees and the legal experts had made that one up. They were the ones who decided that healing was in fact work and therefore not permissible on the Sabbath. So after healing the man, Jesus drives the point home a little harder and says this, verse 5. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull him out? They had nothing to say. They knew that the law was permitted that kind of action, helping those who were in need. But they don't think that healing on the Sabbath should be permitted. So lesson number one from Jesus, don't be a nitpicking legalist. Lesson number two is a lesson in humility. Jesus noticed that some of the guests at the party had taken the best seats, the places of honour at the table. They obviously thought that they were more important than others who were there at the dinner. But Jesus says, instead what you should do is you should actually humble yourself. You shouldn't exalt yourself. You shouldn't claim a place that you perhaps don't deserve. You should humble yourself. That's the way it works in the kingdom. I mean, The very act of becoming a Christian is recognising that you can't save yourself and trusting that God will save you. 
kingdom of heaven is made up of those who have humbled themselves before God, those who realise that God doesn't owe them anything. So lesson number two for the guests at the table is show some humility, don't exalt yourself. The final lesson is a lesson about generosity. Jesus quickly says this in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, so then you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Again, it's another kingdom value. It's about doing things with heaven in mind. It's about being gracious because God has been gracious to you. Do you think that God invited you to share eternity because he wants something from you? Do you think that God invited you to share eternity with him so that you would owe him a favour? Lesson number three is let's be gracious. I'm sure you've had that situation at a dinner party where the conversation has become a little tense. Someone's said something and someone's taken offence at what's being said and, and it all quietens down and you're not sure what's going to happen next. Well, I get the feeling that that's probably what's happened at this dinner party. Jesus has just corrected his guests on a few things and it's gone all quiet. It doesn't say that in the passage, but I'm just imagining that that's what's happened. There's that awkward silence But then in verse 15, it looks to me like one of the guests wants to break that awkward silence with a change of topic. He just heard Jesus mention the resurrection in verse 14, so he makes this statement in verse 15. When one of those at the table heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Basically, what he's saying is, won't things be great when we get to heaven? Jesus seizes on this opportunity to make an important point about who it is that will be with God for eternity. Parable is about a dinner party or a feast. Matthew tells us that it's actually a king who's throwing this feast. All the guests have been invited and they've indicated that they can come and the day arrives and a servant is sent out to call the guests and tell them that the dinner is ready. The food is on the table and the feast is about to begin. But the invited guests start saying they won't be able to come. Now, at the very least, that's rather rude. I mean, the meal's already been served, it's on the table, and now they're saying that they can't come. But it actually gets worse. They start offering these lame excuses about why they can't come. I've bought a block of land and I need to go and see it. Or I've bought a team of oxen and I have to go and try them out. I got married recently, so I won't be able to come. I mean, these are just ridiculous excuses. When the servant reports this to the master, well, the master is justifiably upset. He tells the servant to go and invite the crippled and the poor and the blind and the lame. Did, did you notice that? The same ones that he'd already told his host that they ought to be inviting to their dinners. All those people who would have been considered to be the rejects of the society of that day. Well, the servant does that and there's still more room. So finally, the master says that he's to go to the back lanes, the outskirts of town, go right out to Roselle and ask those people to come as well. The master wants every seat at his banquet filled. 
So what's the point that Jesus is making here? Well, just as the guests had been invited to the banquet, God offers an invitation to us to share eternity with him. And in the parable, some of the people attend the banquet, but some let things stand in the way of them attending. Things like buying a cow or a block of land or even being married. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not suggesting that any of those things are bad or that you shouldn't do any of those things at all. I'm sure Jesus would say that they are all good things to do. The problem is that some people have let those things stand in the way of them going to the banquet. The problem is that some people have let things in this life stand in the way of entering into eternal life. The problem is that some people get so consumed with this life that they pass up the offer for eternal life. And the worrying thing about this parable is that they're all very reasonable things. Buying a land or buying a new house, well, that's serious stuff. You don't want to treat that lightly. Buying a team of oxen or a new work vehicle or machinery for your factory, well, that's something that's going to need your attention. And Jesus wouldn't suggest for a moment that you should treat your marriage lightly. They're all good things. But what he's saying is, those things should not stand in the way of you going to the banquet. You shouldn't put those things as a higher priority in your life than entering into the kingdom. They shouldn't be a higher priority than eternal life. These people all said that they could come to the banquet, but when the, the crunch came, they had, when they had to make a choice, they weren't willing to put the banquet ahead of these personal matters. I think the parable boils down to two practical applications. First one is this, to those who have not yet accepted the invitation to the banquet, don't let things in this life stand in the way of where you will spend eternity. God's having a banquet and you are invited. Don't let the ordinary things of this life stand in the way of you attending that banquet. You need to take the long-term perspective. But you see it, don't you? You see people who are too busy in this life to think about God caught up with their latest property purchases and, and barely got time to give God a second thought. Too caught up with work and career, they have no time to think about their spiritual life. Their lives are so packed, even their hobbies fill in their time and, and they've got time for a yoga class, but they've got no time to think about God. And they can all seem like important things at the time. But when it comes to it, the most important issue in your life has got to be where you stand with God. And the most important thing in your life is knowing where you will spend eternity. God has issued an invitation for you to share in this banquet and you need to make sure that that's a high priority. But the second message is to those who have already accepted the invitation. What Jesus says in this parable should make us think about the way that we act as Christians, the priorities that we have. If you've accepted the invitation, 
then you need to remember where you're going in this life. You need to remember that you're heading to this banquet, that you are destined to share eternity with God. Keep that clearly in your mind because that ought to influence and shape the decisions that you make. I was involved in a panel discussion a few years ago in the city and we were interviewing a few famous uh, sport personalities. So those two pictures there are Nick Farr-Jones, a former Wallabies captain, and Elka Graham, who was an Olympic swimmer. Both of them said that they had to keep reminding themselves throughout their career what was really important. So it'd be very easy to get carried away when you're the captain of the Wallabies. It'd be easy to get carried away with your career when you're swimming for Australia. But what mattered most to these two people was their relationship with God. They wanted to make sure that their decisions were shaped by their relationship with God, that that was the most valuable thing for them. One of them said at this interview that she had to keep remembering all the way through her career that God had prepared eternity for us. You have to keep remembering what God has in store for us. Eternity. When it comes to your working life, you need to remember that your working life is probably only going to be somewhere around 40, 50, maybe 60 years. That's nothing compared to eternity, to the eternity that you'll spend with God. Don't let work take on an importance that it doesn't deserve. When it comes to the home that you live in or the car that you drive, maybe it's not as important as the value that you've often put on it. See, the lesson is this. Don't let things in this life take on an importance that they don't deserve. We're here in this life for a very short time compared to eternity with God. And again, that's not to say that work or home or family are unimportant. They are important. And the Bible has a lot to say about being a good employer or a good employee and working at things as though you are serving the Lord. But the most important thing in this life is your relationship with God. And that relationship with God should shape and influence every decision in your life about work, about family, about home. Don't let things in this life take on an importance that they don't deserve. Remember, we're heading to the banquet And that should shape the choices and the decisions that we make.